0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to this edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. Before we begin, just a quick parental warning. We're going to be discussing issues today that may not be appropriate for certain listeners, especially young listeners. So if uh, you're a mom or a dad uh, riding around in your car listening to this, you just might want to take note of that if you have young ears in the vehicle with you. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we write uh, quite a bit about sexual sin, sexual scandals, and sexual brokenness. It's been my experience that many of these stories have pornography as one component. It's also apparent that pornography has become something of a secret sin among church and ministry leaders. Some surveys have found that as many as 50% of church leaders have some involvement with pornography, and other studies say that a child's first involvement with pornography can start as early as age nine. Because these facts are unfortunately a part of the current cultural moment, I've read a good bit about the topic, but I've never read anything as wise and helpful as Sam Black's book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. Sam Black believes that churches should be places of healing, and he offers both theological underpinnings and practical advice for church leaders, ministry leaders, those struggling to stop using porn, and those who want to fortify themselves so that they never start, or perhaps fortify themselves so that they can help others. Sam Black is the Director of Recovery Education for Covenant Eyes, a software program that provides God's help and accountability for those who want to avoid online pornography. Prior to joining Covenant Eyes in 2007, he made his living as a journalist. And now my conversation with Sam Black. Sam, welcome to the program. Uh, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, in part because, you know, I've read a lot of books about sexual brokenness, about pornography. I have served on the boards of organizations that have dealt with this issue. And I've got to say that I think your approach is different. I mean, I've read a lot of stuff and, um, I, you know, thought I kind of knew the literature, at least in the popular evangelical imagination. And yet I was very impressed by the approach you took. Um, and uh, so f- let me begin there, even though it's not exactly where you begin Uh, your book. Why did you, why did you take this approach? Why, you know, a lot of times uh, uh, folks that are engaged in uh, this kind of uh, work will write books that talk about the statistics and you do some of that and talk about the fact that pornography is sin and you do that as well. But you also uh, step back and look at it from a bigger, more holistic point of view. And, uh, And even to the point where you don't call the book, uh, you know, how to stop pornography, you call it the healing church. Say more about those, these ideas.
1: I wrote the healing church, what churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it to help pastors and minister leaders. To provide them an empathetic guide to better understand the issue of why people get stuck, why they often stay stuck in secret without help. And how the church is God's plan A. And uh, when it comes to closeness in Christ, there is no plan B. so <laughs> right? We need one another. and but I again wrote it as an with empathy uh, for pastors and ministry leaders because what I heard over and over again from both ministry leaders and by the way, I interviewed more than 70 pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, Uh, people who had gone through good processes within their church to to really help pastors and ministry leaders. I'm not trying to beat up on the church. I'm wanting to help them, point them to resources and support that can really equip the church to handle this issue better. And we need to understand that pornography is undermining every ministry in the local church, from children's and teens ministries to adult ministries to marriage ministries to senior ministries. Pornography does not have a demographic, but it is often assaulting kids at a young age or not. And so often, only 7% of churches are doing anything at all. So it's really, to me, the purpose in writing the book is how do we better equip the church to have difficult conversations, but also provide meaningful help so that people aren't simply managing sin they're living in freedom from it
0: yeah yeah and when you say it's undermining all kinds of ministries within the church uh, i mean that's that's not an exaggeration at all if you look at the numbers i mean that th- there are uh, well why don't you recount uh, some of the numbers for me uh, but i'm i'm hearing that well over 50% of christian men are uh, engaged in pornography and and the numbers for women are not quite that high, but still pretty high. Can you say more about that?
1: If we look at the ministries that we're doing within the church, we think of children's ministries. Well, the average age for first exposure to pornography is somewhere between the ages of eight and 12, and that's averages. And I've heard repeatedly over and over again, because keep in mind that any of these surveys are done with adults, so that you're now looking back, at, you know, 15, 20 years to what, when were you exposed? Uh, and I hear parents repeatedly telling me, I know that my child was exposed at five, six, seven, eight years old. I hear that on a regular basis among men uh, who are struggling themselves uh, in, in adulthood. So that early exposure is a big deal. And uh, we uh, need to understand that uh, we're doing all these great things for teen nights and teen pizza night and uh, camps, etc. And teenagers are among the pro- most prolific users of pornography. If we look at our men's and women's ministries, two thirds of men in the church, a third of women in the church. So they have an ongoing struggle. Uh, if you break that down further, 37% of men of all ages say they're watching pornography multiple times a week. When we look at those men at 18 to 30, 36% say they're watching daily. About 14% of women say they're watching multiple times a week. So, we need to really press in a little deeper here and understand that our church, regardless of its denomination or its theology, um we're not an except. We're not an exception to the rule. I've seen this across I've been at multiple denominational events and Eyes is an ecumenical effort. We see this on a regular basis where churches often think, well, you know, our church is a little bit different because we believe this, or our church or denomination is a little bit different because we have uh, whatever it is greater love for Christ, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, whatever else. So maybe we're not as impacted. And so we don't really talk about it. And because we're not talking about it, and because um, there's a lot of shame within the church over the issue, People remain mum and silent. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, Sam, that number, those numbers, that reality creates a real dilemma, though, for the church as well. Um, I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that if, if, if all of a sudden the light could be shown completely and fully, and we knew the truth about all of our ministry leaders and all of our church leaders, just based on those numbers alone— um, you know, it it would it would create absolute chaos within, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of churches in this country. So I think one of the reasons that people are silent is because they they're not prepared to deal with the consequences. The consequences would be profound. Um, number one. Number two. Um, what so, you if know, the
1: consequences so- were invigorating? Let, let's take a look at this right now. Uh, sociological studies. Uh, done by the University of Oklahoma as well as some Christian universities and other uh, 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 other efforts out there. They've done surveys that show that there is a direct correlation between pornography use and lesson prayer life, less in scripture reading, lack of feeling closeness to God, Uh, The University of Oklahoma study showed that there was a direct correlation on the amount of pornography someone used and whether someone will be volunteering in their church over the next six years. There was a direct correlation to that, right? Now, keep in mind that as I wrote this book, I talked to many ministry leaders, missionaries, and others who said uh, that, and, and, and other lay leaders who said I felt such shame over my pornography use that after I used pornography, I would work and perform even better. I would do more to serve my church and et cetera, to hide my shame. I never really told anybody about it. I made this private confession to God, never really found any healing in that effort. And so I would perform and it kept like flipping a coin. So it became a coin of flipping between perfectionism and shame, perfectionism and shame. And that Shame is keeping us from practicing one of the basic tenets of the Christian faith, found in James 5.16, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. And in small churches, I often hear, hey, Sam, you know, it's really hard to, to do that because we know one another. Our kids go to school together or we've gotten to know each other well. Uh, Growing up, it's a small community, whatever it is. And then you go to these mega churches churches, and they say, you know, Sam, I'm sorry. It's really hard for me to find a covenantized ally, someone who's going to receive my activity of how I'm using my devices using our accountability software because uh, I don't really know someone I can trust well enough. I don't really know anyone well enough. So it's not the size of the church that matter. That's the problem, right? It is what part of James five sixteen do we not believe? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Okay, I'm glad you sort of leapfrog over that. Um, that I was I was talking about if all that confession and, and and vulnerability took place, it'd be chaotic. But you make the very valid point that. Uh, n- yes it would also be invigorating for the church it would be it would result in growth it would result in healing it would result in you know the a true community but between here and there it seems to me sam there's there's got to be some conditions in place to make that possible that the church has to be a safe place where somebody who is in is engaged in pornography can confess their sins uh, to others without, um, uh, well, it's, it, I don't want to say without losing their ministry, because on the one hand, if uh, this is a disqualifier of ministry, and there should be uh, some consequence for that. But on the other hand, there should also be restoration. So maybe that's the, those are the words I'm looking for. The church has to be a place of safety where this kind of confession can take place, and it also has to be a place of restoration and not merely of punishment after that confession takes place. Do, am I getting you right, and can you say more about that?
1: Well, I think we jumped on a top. There's a number of topics and I cover a number of chapters in there. What does it look like for restoration of ministry leaders? We have two, I cover that in two chapters. Listen, as I, as I said before, I interviewed more than 70 pastors and ministry leaders, and counselors, et cetera, for this book. <laughs> this isn't just Sam's ideas. I wanted to find churches that were doing this work well. And what was different about them? What was, what were they doing right? How are they creating safety in the church where people can confess something as shameful that's pornography or other one and sexual behaviors or the things that were going on in their life where it was safe to come as you are, but not okay to, we we to love you too much to leave you stuck alone. We're willing to walk with you if you're willing to take that journey. And so I think it's important that we look at the reward. We looked at the, we we briefly talked about how these studies have shown such a deficits, how pornography is so harmful to one's faith in all the churches that I interviewed that were doing this work well, they found the reverse happening in fact they they welcomed it. they said, when someone is stuck in a stronghold, this is an amazing opportunity for deep discipleship. This is an amazing opportunity for someone to Take a journey with childlike faith, leave their childishness behind, but be childlike in leaning on support of of the local church, those who are safe, as well as leaning on Christ's word and going on a deeper dive, right? That deep discipleship is what we're talking about. And what all of these churches showed is that those who are going in through a safe place and a safe process in regard to their strongholds. They were drawing closer to Christ. They felt greater connection with God. Their scripture life improved. Their prayer life improved. Their church attendance approved. And they, the pastors were saying, listen, you got to understand, Sam, I don't do more work now. Like the fear is if I try to do this, I, I'm, I'm just not going to have any time left. The truth is I don't do more work now. I do less because now I have volunteers, people who say, pastor, I'll do that. Pastor, I'll take that on. I'll counsel that person. I'll, or I'll, uh, disciple that person. And so it is, uh, the rewards are there if we're willing to take some of those first steps toward creating a safe environment.
0: So, how do we do that, Sam? How do we make our churches, uh, into the safe environment, into the healing church that you talk about? Uh, what are, what are, uh, when you've interviewed these pastors, where you've seen this happen, uh, and hap- and, they, and it's done well, what do they look like? And 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 I think might be more also, or at least equally instructive, when you have found churches that are not doing it well but want to do it well, what are some of their early steps? What are some of their first steps?
1: Well, I think it's important for one to have some knowledge and understanding, because if we don't under have the knowledge. Knowledge precedes understanding, and understanding precedes change. And that part of that change is empathy. Because it's very easy to say, we often want a very simple answer. Hey, if you go do this, you're free from that, you don't have to worry about this anymore. It's a different thing to say, hey, we need to look at our church itself and say, Is our culture one where we can welcome someone who's struggling and whatever with whatever sin they're struggling with? Even Christians. Um, And so a safe place isn't about being nice. It's about being Christ-like. So I do talk in in great depth with pastors uh, in the book about how they created culture and created change. One of the things that we, a simple thing that we can think about is that safety uh, operates along this spectrum. And if you'll picture on maybe on the left side of the spectrum is uh, it's okay to come as you are. No big deal. We all sin. We're all struggling. You know, we are just all fallen uh, short of the glory of God. But we're never really called to change. We're never really called to dig deep into, okay, why am I struggling here? And why do I keep repeating this, this thing in my life? Such as pornography. And on the other side of that spectrum is a uh, very strict religiosity. Where once you become a Christian, you shouldn't have any more strongholds in your life at all. In fact, if you do, maybe you don't belong with us. And we're not here to help you. We're here to punish you. We're here to make you feel bad and shame. And if we shame you hard enough, then maybe you just won't go back. (laughs) And what we find is instead, shame just teaches people to hide more. Or everyone else around who sees it goes, ooh, I'm not going to talk about what I'm struggling with because it's not safe to do that. Mm-hmm. And what we want to be is that that center place where it's okay to come as you are, even as a Christian, and say, "Listen, I am struggling with this stronghold in my life, and I want to live in freedom and wholeness." Now listen, God can do anything. He can he releases people of their addictions immediately. But often he wants us to go on a Childlike, trusting journey with others, with one another, with the church, uh, for deep discipleship and a process of sanctification that not only just deals with the one issue, because I can tell you in my own life, I've been like, oh, God, just take this away from me. I hate this in my life. And I thought, if I just deal with this one issue, then everything else would just be golden, right? And what happened is when I began. Dealing with that issue and in in a safe place with safe discipleship, now the closets opened up, and I could look at my own life history. I could look at the wounds and pain in life that I had experienced. I could look at how I treat others and talk and uh, with my family, and uh, the dark corners of my life get to begin lighting up. And now the one issue that was so concerning does get to be dealt with. But now I'm not just overcome, overcoming pornography. I'm living great in greater wholeness in Christ in every part of my life. Living in that wholeness, right? Yeah, pornography is like this distant thing. Like, why would I want to go there anymore? I mean, something that had seemingly overwhelming control of my life. I hated it in my, in my mind. But as I really walked through a safe process, where I again to understand what was pornography doing for me, where I whether you you can use a, a lot of different language for that, right? Whether I made it an idol in my life or whether I was using escapism to run away from how I uh, my emotions, etc, uh, regulate my moods. But once we began understanding the roots, of why pornography had a hold on my mind, body, and spirit, the lies that it had taught me over years since childhood, then I could not only deal with the pornography issue, I could deal with all the other lies that were in my my heart as well.
0: Yeah, you know Sam, you've got a whole chapter in your book on the lies that we believe, and you've got a good bit of material in your book. I don't, I, I don't remember if it's a single chapter, or if it's scattered over several chapters about some of the biology, the physiology of um, of neural pathways and um, uh, neuroplasticity, um, as as it is sometimes called. Unfortunately, we're going to have to skip over some of that just in the interest of time, and I'll just stipulate for the record, I found that to be very helpful material and I really appreciate it being in the book but I want to come I want to maybe focus some of the time that we have left uh, Sam on an idea that we've already introduced a couple of times and that is this idea of confession and um, the you, you've mentioned it a couple of times that we have to you know that we that we confess our sins to not just to God but to one another uh, as I read the book I I, I really came you know face to face with with that reality I mean uh, obviously we should Confess our sins to God, and we should do so regularly. But you seem to make a point of saying that confessing our sins to each other, to having allies in this process, and accountability partners um, with whom we are completely honest and open, is. I don't know if I would go so far, or I don't. I don't know if you ever went so far as to say it was absolutely essential, and you cannot overthrow these strongholds any other way. But you came pretty darn close to saying that. Um, and it, it, do I have you right in that? And can you say more?
1: Yeah. Let me let me just clarify. No one escapes alone. <laughs> right? Uh, you can. And why do I believe this is true? Because I have met guys in their 70s and 80s at men's events who come to my, who have talked to me and said sam i've been struggling with this my whole life and i thought that when i in middle school that when i got to high school that well i would no longer use pornography that would no longer be a struggle in my life and when i got to uh, but that didn't work and so i thought well i'm going to go to a christian college or uh, whatever else and i was good i know that when i go there i'm going to be closer to people who are really uh Strongly connected to Christ, and that's not going to be a struggle for me anymore. And that didn't work. And I went to seminary and uh, was, hey, I know I'll be studying for the missions work or pastoral work or counseling work, or whatever it else is it it was. And that didn't work. And so that, well, once I go into ministry, uh, I won't have a struggle there anymore because I'll be around other uh, people in ministry and and or on the mission field, and I'll be so dedicated to my work, this won't be a struggle anymore. And all the while. They kept it to themselves and never really, and if they did confess it, it was, hey, I sinned with pornography or I I, I looked at porn and I, I shouldn't have done that. And I just want to confess that. And that's all that the confession really ended up doing. And so when we really lean on one another through a safe process, uh, and by the way, there's some great tools that are available for this process. Well, we can come back to that. But when I got to dig deeper into Sam, uh, I, I could tell my accountability partner, "Hey, I I had a slip and I fell." And he goes, "Well, Sam, what happened that day? What happened? What what went on?" Oh, you know, as yeah, I was uh, up late and I I watched I watched pornography. Oh, so one maybe there's some a guideline that you need to put in your in your life where you turn off your all your devices. But what happened? You know, at a certain time of day, you you just need to recognize that later at night you're more likely to struggle. So let's let's just keep that in place, right? That's that's a very reasonable thing to do, right? Second, he might say, "Hey Sam, what what else happened that day? Uh, you know, it was it, it was really a bad day. But what, what was so bad about it? Well, you know, I I got in this conflict with my boss at work, and I was supposed to uh, get this deadline done, and I didn't get that done, and he yelled at me, and Oh, so, you know, you can just keep tearing it apart. I could have said, oh, you know, I had a bad day at work. Well, what happened at work, right? If you dig deeper, you find out, okay, well, how'd that make you feel? Well, you know, I felt like, you know, when I, my dad yelled at me like that and I hated it when that, and how did how that make you feel? I felt small and inept and lack of self-worth and doubt about myself and I'll never get this right. And so now you're using pornography to anesthetize your emotions and your moods. All right, Sam. What's the next thing when you encounter that next time? How could what could you do instead? What what would it mean for you to take a minute and pray about how you're feeling? One, you're naming your feelings. <laughs> what's going on in your life? What would it mean to pray about that? What would it mean to call me and say this is how I'm feeling? This is how I'm struggling. This is the things that are being, my triggers are being flashed. and Maybe I'm I'm starting to think about pornography, right? And so we're digging deeper into simply just saying, did you obey or did you not obey, right? We're going a little bit deeper into that through, and we learn that through some knowledge and understanding of why people are using pornography in the first place in the church. When they say, I promised myself, I promised God, I promised others, I'll never go back here again. And I keep doing it again and again and again.
0: Yeah. So that's obviously, uh, I mean, Sam, that was a beautiful way of sort of walking us through the benefits of, of confessing to somebody that's a trusted ally. Um, help me understand what happens if that person that do, that is doing the confessing, even that same scenario, even with a guy that, you know, uh, is skilled in, in, in responding the way that you just showed us to respond. Um, what if that guy's a pastor? What if that guy's a deacon? What if that guy's an elder? Does he have a duty and a responsibility to report that? Um, are there uh, consequences that should go beyond those two? Or if this is happening within a church setting, within accountability partners work, that kind of confession and repentance is a part of the process. Um, should it stay just between those two? No, oh, that's
1: a great question. And uh, first of all, let me back up by saying, because I know that somebody's going to be like, how do I do that? You, you just talked about being very insightful. Well, one, uh, Covenant Eyes provides a tool called Victory, the Victory app by Covenant Eyes. And it will, it provides courses and it's aimed, often aimed at the individual. But we have courses specifically for allies or what you might call an accountability partner. We call it allies because an ally yep. has your back. They trust, you know, it's someone you can trust. And it really helps you understand, again, how did I get stuck? Why do I seem to stay stuck? And how can I begin taking a journey toward real and lasting freedom? But it's also providing resources and training for that ally to better understand that as well. How can I be a better ally? How can I, be, how can I begin understanding this issue better? What are the questions I should be asking? So we don't want to leave you just hanging. We also have a, a, a workbook called Life Change. And these, these are tools that allow you to really dig deeper and not stay on the surface of this so much. So let's go back to the question you asked, and that is, should, uh, is there any obligation to tell someone else? I think the importance of having an ally is that you have a safe person. And my, one of my allies, a pastor, says, Sam, not everybody needs to know everything. But one person needs to know everything, right? So, is there an obligation? What you, what we should be telling someone is, if they're married, for instance, and say, "Hey, I think you know we've been talking about this, and we we were making some progress, but I believe it's very important that you come clean with your spouse, especially if there's been acting out outside of the." Of the marriage uh, or, you know, and in, in you've crossed the what's often called the flesh line. You've actually not just gone from pornography. You're actually going to uh, an affair or some a massage parlor or something like that. It's escalated, even if though even if it's talked to just pornography, it's important to have a safe disclosure. And by the way, we show you how to do a safe disclosure in the Victory Up by Covenant Eyes as well of course, written by Troy and uh, Melissa Haas, who are uh, clinical sex addiction therapists as well. So we want so, to do that safely. We don't want just want to, and we often do the trickle down that, you know, guys will feel this this sudden guilt and they'll want to go tell their wives, okay, this is what, how I've been struggling or uh, even a wife might want to tell her husband, this is how I've been struggling with pornography. And But they don't tell all the story and they don't do it in a safe way and they put in the wrong details. And sometimes they do this trickle I'll tell a little bit here, and then I'll tell a little bit later, and then I'll tell a little bit later. And just like reopening a wound over and over again. So we need to do that well.
0: So uh, I think, though, Sam, some would argue that some of the things that we're talking about here would be biblical grounds for termination of a person in ministry. Uh, would would So would you counsel against that? Would you like if a pastor uh, finds a, an ally? and does it well, and the ally is skilled. Um, would would you recommend that that pastor step away from ministry for a season? Uh, would you recommend that, the since not everybody needs to know everything, that maybe they just keep it between the two of them and allow the pastor to continue in ministry? Are there any guidelines that you can offer in that situation?
1: There's a bit of nuance to that, and I cover it in two chapters in the book. One, porn's impact with uh, in, within Christian ministry, part one and part two. So I've got, I de- dedicated two chapters to that. And rather than messing with too much of that nuance, I will say, because it, I think it's important for us to look at 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 it well. And I doubt we're going to really accomplish that well in in two or three minutes or in a single sentence. What I will say is, we keep shooting our wounded. And that's not very effective in the church. I remember uh, because because there is opportunity for renewal. God's grace is sufficient. Now, does that mean they should step back from ministry? It might very well be, depending on what it is that's going on. Um, is it? And 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 often, <laughs> and, and spoiler alert: I often say yes, indeed. We there's an opportunity to step back, but we need to create a means for that to happen as well. Because let's face it, those that often in ministry don't tell anybody or try to keep fighting this on their own because they've spent their whole life studying for ministry. They're, they've been in ministry probably for some time. Their whole livelihood depends on what they're doing in ministry. And so uh, instead of finding freedom, they continue the hiding. And so what we need to do is create a safe place for ministry leaders as well. And depending on what that looks like, you know, there's there, like I said, there's a lot of nuance on that. I will say that I just uh, spoke to a a, a, a a pastor and he said, my district superintendent says, hey, if any of you are struggling with pornography, uh, I'm not going to dismiss you, but I will.'" want to walk alongside you. And we are going to make sure we take care of it well. Because here's the cool thing. The ministry leaders that I spoke to who had gone through a safe place and a safe process, like others who had gone through it, they went on even more on fire for Christ. They were more empathetic and more willing to help others. They were more passionate about every part of their ministry and so when we just say, hey, you're cut off, you're gone, and just shooting our wounded, we are not helping the church. We are we are tearing down the church. And by the way, everybody else who is looking at that that going on in the church looks at it and goes, Ooh, yeah, I'm gonna keep silent on my struggle as well. Cause they just they just eliminated that person, didn't ask, didn't offer them any help, didn't walk them on a journey toward freedom. What if instead we said, hey, this is what's going on. And this is the real true path toward freedom that they're taking. And, and they're open about it. Uh, and I show that in the book several times where ministry leaders were said, hey, we love you too much to let you uh, struggle alone. And we want you to take a step back. But we're not we're not going to abandon you. And those people, some of those people re-entered ministry for those. And someone found that, hey, ministry wasn't really my calling in life. This is not where I should be. But they were able to serve in other ways. So there's, a, like I said, there's a, a good amount of nuance. And I think I cover it pretty well in the book. But that's something that requires some language precision for sure.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Well, listen Sam, we're going to run out of time here really quickly, but let me just say again how much I appreciated the book. I found it to be very helpful um and valuable and uh and just um you know articulated that that for me uh that this notion of the church being the place of healing, that the church uh being God's plan A as you said at the very beginning uh is um is is so such a vital idea and um i think if if we can learn to embrace that it'd be such a powerful witness to the world as well
1: thank you it's such an honor to be here thank you for this good conversation that brings to a close my
0: conversation with sam black and i'd like to offer a couple of quick thoughts before we go first if you found today's program helpful please share it with a friend. I really believe that this is an important topic. It's not the usual kind of interview that I do here at Ministry Watch, but when I read Sam's book, I just thought it was something that I wanted to share with Ministry Watch listeners. Secondly, a quick reminder that Ministry Watch is a donor-supported ministry. We take no money from the ministries we cover. We don't put ads on our site. We don't have one of those annoying paywalls. (laughs) So if you like uh, our work and you want to support it, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Thanks to Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh for producing today's program. We get technical database and editorial support from Christina Darnell, Kim Roberts, Casey Suddeth, and Stephen DeBerry. I'm your host, Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.